to the Indian Creek Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Our website is www.indiancreekbaptistchurch.org or our email address is info at indiancreekbaptistchurch.org. It is our sincere hope that through this podcast, God will speak to your heart and touch your life so that you may grow closer to him. So welcome back to Indian Creek Baptist Church. We are uh, in the book of John tonight, John chapter 9. Uh, we've been looking at this passage as Christ is, uh, was teaching in the temple and they were ready to stone him and he, he left through the midst of them without being hurt. And immediately as he left the temple, he passed by uh, the blind man and healed him. He spit on the ground and made clay, anointed his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed and was made clean. And now uh, he is. we've spent the last couple of Sunday nights watching him or, or walking through with him as he's been questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, uh, and the other Jews. And we've seen uh, how much they just detest Christ and what he has done. And um, this last Sunday we ended with verse number uh 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. We, we saw the Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue, and essentially in their eyes, in their religion, uh, signing his death warrant, uh, condemning him to hell because he was no longer able to worship God the way that uh, they believed God required. And uh, imagine the, the hatred in their hearts to do that. To, if they truly believe that, to sign that warrant, uh, that that decree that cast him out. But today we're going to pick up uh, in verse number 34 and, and continue on through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to see God's grace and mercy and really the story of probably all of our lives, uh, but a story that really hits home with me. So John chapter 9 and verse number 34 is where we're going to pick up. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Let's pray. Father God, again, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that we would not just hear your truth today, Lord, but that it would affect us, that we would become doers of your word, that we would see in this blind man ourselves, we would see your love, your grace, and your mercy, Lord, and we would be reminded of all that you've sacrificed for us, and that it would drive us to serve you and to follow you. So God, please guide and direct today. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing in us and through us here in Maxwell. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we see here, uh, this man has been thrown out. He's been cast out. But uh, with uh, the song Amazing Grace, it just reminds me uh, that there is a lifeline. 
that not only was he cast out of the religion of the world, but then Jesus went and found him and brought him into a relationship. And that's really what he's done for all of us. The Pharisees made themselves judge, jury, and executioner. They, they had found, uh, for some reason, this man who did nothing wrong. We, we know from the beginning of John chapter 9 as his disciples and Jesus are leaving the temple and they find this man. The, the disciples ask the question, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it this man or was it his parents? And Christ said there was no sin involved, that it was simply because God's power needed to be shown through this man. But now the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are judging and convicting this man who has done no sin, has done nothing wrong, simply because he was made whole. Simply because his life was changed. And because it was Jesus who did it. And I have not had this experience, and I don't know that anybody in this room has. If you have, I am sorry for you, but there are so many that get saved and uh, they're not allowed to be around their family. Uh, their, their, their family shuns them. Um, I think of the Amish community, those that, that the Amish would believe much like we do. However, they take it a little bit farther. And uh, when someone truly comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior in the Amish community, they're shunned. Uh, the Muslim community, a, a group that claims to follow the same God that, that stems from Ishmael, the son of Abraham, yet if so, one of their children, one of their family comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, they risk death by proclaiming that. And here, these Pharisees and Sadducees, simply because Christ healed a man on the Sabbath day, have now cast him out. And they've shown just what religion truly does for all of us. We, we saw this morning in uh, the book of Judges as the, the, the men of Shechem went into the, the house of the god Baal-Beareth and, and the house was burnt down around them. That, that is what religion is. It is that counterfeit, that false god that, that tells us that if we work, if we do, if we, if we serve, that's what saves us when it's completely false. What saves us is faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone and what he's done for us on the cross. It's not a religion of do, do, do. It's a relationship of gratitude and grace and mercy. And Christ finds the man as soon as he's been cast out. When he is at what should have been his highest point, he's now been made whole. He can see but now he's been removed and he's cast out. He's been brought down low and Christ finds him. And I'm reminded of my own time as I was in my early 20s and thought I could do everything. There was nothing that I couldn't do. I was I was a fireman. I was a, an EMT. I could build anything. I could fix anything. Obviously, I didn't learn my lesson very well back then because I've hurt myself fixing things this last week, but but I could do everything. I was the one that people came to whenever they had a problem until the night my daughter was born. And the night my daughter was born as I sat in the operating room and helped the nurses do CPR on my one-pound, uh, nine-ounce little girl that, that was barely bigger than a Barbie doll, I came to realize very quickly that there was no way that anybody in that hospital 
could save her life. And as, as an agnostic, as someone who didn't believe in God because I didn't see the evidence of God, you couldn't prove to me that God existed through science, which is one of the dumbest statements that's ever been made. But as I looked back on all of those years of avoiding God, when everybody finally left the room at about three in the morning and I, I, I looked at my little girl clinging on to whatever thread of life she had, I knew that the only way that she was going to survive is that if there was a creator, he kept her alive. And I got on my knees that night and I began to pray. And for the first time ever, I began to pray. And I promised God, I said, if you keep her alive, if you're real, keep her alive and I'll find you. What should have been one of the most joyous times in my life was the lowest point. And a year later... God found me. I, I was looking. I was searching. We had moved to southern Iowa. And, and I was trying to find a church that we could be involved in. And I wasn't sure what I was looking for. I was blind. I was lost. And God brought a man from Florida and introduced us. And I got saved in his kitchen on Friday the 13th mm -hmm. of July 2007. God found me. Jesus came to this man as, as uh, this man who had been born blind, who who knew the Lord's voice, but had never actually seen him. We, we remember as Christ put the clay on his face, he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and the man went and washed and came seeing, but never saw Jesus' face. So when Christ finds him, he asks him a simple question. He says, dost thou believe? Do you believe in the Son of God? And the man said, well, who is he? Obviously, I believe as the scripture is preserved for us in verse number 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? The word Lord is capitalized. That is a proper name. It is a term of authority this man knew that christ had some authority in his life but he didn't know who he was had he known he was god the whole word would be capitalized every letter but he said who is he that i might believe on him i know he's the one that has done this this man has been arguing with the pharisees for hours and the thing that finally broke the straw, the, the straw that finally broke the camel's back is he said to them, if this man wasn't of God, he could not do these works. This uneducated man, this man who had spent his life begging, was teaching the Pharisees that there's no possible way Jesus could have been from anyone other than God. And that's what finally made them mad. Mad enough to, to sign his death warrant, to convict him. This man is seeking and searching and doesn't know that the Lord is right in front of his face. I spent a year of my life seeking and searching, not knowing that God was right there. Even when I was finally introduced to Pastor Pierce, um, we were at a, a healthy kids event at the local YMCA. I had taken a job as a career fireman for the city of Creston and it was my turn to be on duty and to set the fire truck up and all the kids were climbing around on the truck and 
in my mind, I spent the whole day thinking, man, how much am I going to have to scrub this truck when we get back to get all the sucker, the sticky sucker fingerprints and everything off of this truck so we can actually use it. Because I knew my chief. He was, in the, he was a very austere man. He, he uh, reaped where he didn't sow. But he, he was, he was a, a man that liked things decently and in order. And as I'm standing having a conversation with this man as his, his children are climbing around on the truck and putting on my gear and taking pictures and I'm having a conversation about hunting and fishing and, and he tells me that they're planning on moving from Florida. They're there on a survey trip and they're moving up from Florida to start a church. And I, I asked him, I said, are you crazy? I said, Florida is beautiful. I was cold. <laughs> I was hard. And I said, he said he had looked at the map and plotted out where churches were, and he had seen a big hole right where we were. I said, but there's eight churches in town. He said, yeah, but there's not a church like ours. And I kind of shrugged it off, and I laughed. Not knowing that this man that was right in front of me would be the man that would lead me to the Lord, and then two weeks later, his wife would lead my wife to the Lord. But God kept putting us together. They left that day and I went about, went home, went back to the station and cleaned the truck and uh, got all the, the sticky, gooey candy mess off of the truck and went about my way, went about my week, went about my month. And then it finally warmed up and I got to a point where I could uh, I could have a, a another job aside from being a fireman. One of the uh, the benefits of the schedule that I worked was I had two days to where I... I Really didn't have anything to do. And I was in a small enough department that generally I got a full night's sleep the night before uh, while I was on duty. So um, I had heard about one of the most of the volunteers and several of the part time guys uh, worked for a lawn care company and pest control company uh, just outside of town. And, and they told me, they said, if you just show up, he'll put you on a mower and uh, you can have two full time jobs. I said, great. I've got a brand new baby. A, uh, wife at home that, that we need to be able to take care of and pay the bills and I'm not making what I really should be making but uh, the Lord you know uh, I didn't say the Lord but I, I said you know in my carnal mind I, I needed the help I didn't know that it was of God and as I showed up that first day and, and walked into their their morning meeting uh, I looked up and I recognized a man and it was that pastor from Florida that was moving to Iowa to start a church his family had moved and, and they had uh, bought a house just outside of town and he was working for that lawn care company. And, and through many other circumstances, I, I ended up, uh, I mowed lawns for the summer and then the, the, the lawn started to dry up and I didn't need to mow, and, but I still needed the work. So uh, I changed my rule. I had made a rule that I didn't want to be out of town that because I had to respond if, if something happened and I had to be in town, and I changed my rule and decided to go and spend two weeks doing some landscaping a couple hours away. And wouldn't you know it, the only truck that was available for me to ride in was with that pastor. So I rode for two hours one way and two hours back with a pastor who was moving from Florida to start a church. And we just became really close friends. And uh, I found out they had bought a house that I had wanted to buy. The city wouldn't let me buy. It was too far out of, outside of our – too far away from the fire station. It would take too long for me to respond. But that, that house had several acres of pasture land that they weren't using. And I had two horses in northern Missouri that needed 
to be closer to where I was. So I made a deal with him and we decided to rent the pasture. And so that turned into every night, one of us, my wife or, or I was going out and doing chores and taking care of the horses. And, and we just, we became really close friends. And it was, like I said, it was Friday the 13th as I was uh, coming off of, I had was just getting ready to go on shift the next morning. It was uh, the day before my anniversary, and I was going to be on shift during my anniversary, and uh, was really just kind of down and and was struggling with some things at the fire station, and struggling with being a new father and a new husband, and and I, I was talking with him on his his front deck. It's about eleven o'clock at night, and when he tells it, he'll he'll admit that in his mind he was thinking this guy needs to go home. I've got studying I have to do. Sunday is our grand opening service. I've got people coming in the morning to knock every door in the town where we're starting the church. And and this guy just needs to go home. But he was too nice to just tell me to leave. And finally, God laid it on his heart to share the gospel with me. And God found me that night. Amen. And I praise the Lord for it. I, I wish I could say that it's been uh, a bed of roses, that it's been an easy run, but but it's not. But Jesus found me. Just like he found this blind man, he sought him out. Just like he found each and every one of you that knows him as Lord and Savior, he sought you out at a time where maybe you weren't doing the greatest. Maybe you were at your lowest point that you'd ever been. And he brought you out of that miry clay. And as we see, this man that was once blind says, Lord, I believe. I believe, and he began to worship. This man got saved just like you and I did. Just like the saints of the Old Testament. However, Christ had not gone to the cross yet, so salvation could not be completed because he had not paid the penalty, but he put his faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for everything. And I believe from this day on that he followed Jesus. We're never given this man's name, but I believe he was in the upper room praying as Christ ascended. I believe that he was there on the day of Pentecost. I believe he was there in Jerusalem in that first church. And I believe that we'll see him in heaven. Jesus goes on as, as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other Jews have gathered around and they, they now know that it was Christ who healed him. Jesus takes the opportunity to poke the fire a little bit. In verse number 39... Jesus said, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Christ has come. He's revealed His purpose. Now we know from Luke 19.10, if you'll turn back there with me, the book of Luke, chapter 19 and verse number 10, we know that there was a main purpose for Christ. We'll start in verse 9. And Jesus said unto them, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Back in John, in John chapter 3, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we often stop there and don't read verse number 17. 
For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. Again, we, we, we spoke on it this morning, but if someone dies and goes to hell, it's because they've made that choice. But Christ here, revealing his purpose, he has come to judge the world. Now this is a, a, a twofold prophecy. He has come to be judged at Calvary to pay for our sins. You notice, it doesn't say, I have come to judge the world. It says, for judgment I am come into this world. He knew that he was coming to be judged. He knew that he was coming to stand before Pilate, to stand before the Sanhedrin, uh, to be crucified and beaten. He knew that from the very beginning. He knew that that was his purpose. But he also came in perfect righteous, the perfect righteous Son of God to take our place in the judgment seat. Isaiah 53.5 uh, I was going to quote it from memory and I am just I'm having a hard time even finding it right now. I know it's in here. Oh, there we go. Isaiah 53 and verse number 5. At least if it takes me a while to find it, then usually everybody else has found it before I have. So Isaiah 53, 5. Well, we'll start in verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's why Christ came. That was the first fulfillment of this prophecy, that he came for judgment. But the second is, at the millennial reign, after the church has been raptured out and the great tribulation has happened, he will come and he will rule and reign and judge righteously with in peace. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, 11, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he confess God. That's the purpose for his coming. And we see that throughout. We see that uh, through this story that Jesus found this man. He healed him. Then he revealed himself and, and the man got saved. And now the Pharisees are going to get angry again because their religion has been trampled on again. Christ tells us that he is going to help the blind see and he's going to help those that see be blind. He's going to turn the world upside down. This goes along with several other comparisons the Pharisees and the publican in Luke 18, 10 through 14. If you remember the story, the, the Pharisee has gone into the temple and he's praying and, and he's talking about how holy and righteous he is, that he fasts twice in the week and, and he gives tithes of all that he has and he does all of these great things for God. And the publican can't even look up to God and he just smites on his chest and, and, and says, God, I'm a wicked sinner. Forgive me. And Christ tells his disciples as he's 
revealing the story to them that, that the, the publican will go to his house righteous and the Pharisee won't. We know that God exalts the humble and the proud are abased. All of these boil down to a simple fact. <coughs> those that need God will have God and those that don't will have themselves. The blind, the humble, the poor, all of these all of these characteristics are less physical than they are spiritual. As Christ goes through uh, the whole New Testament, as the Gospels, when he reveals these blind, these poor, all of them, he's talking less about their physical characteristics, but more about their spiritual characteristics, the thoughts and intents of their heart. These are all without their own righteousness or pride. The rich, the seeing, the prideful, all are full of their own righteousness and cannot see the righteousness of God. Remember, uh, as Christ was being asked what it takes to get into heaven, and, and he says that the, the rich are, it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the, the rich man to get into heaven. Many will, will try to push that off to the side and say that the eye of the needle is a tunnel going into something or other. No, it's really the eye of a needle. It would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, something that's thousands of times larger than the hole that it's going through, to pass through that hole than it will be for a rich man, a self-righteous man, to get into heaven. Because a self-righteous man can. It's impossible. And these Pharisees only confirm as they... Uh, begin to talk back to Christ and, and say, are we then blind? Are we blind also? Well, yeah. They are. They can physically see, they can physically see Christ right in front of them. They've seen all of the evidence. They know that He has power from God to heal. They know, uh, they've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen Him do all of these amazing things. Yet, they've refused in their heart. They've allowed their pride, their self-righteousness, to get in the way. Christ says, if you were blind, you should have no sin. If you truly didn't see and understand, if you were spiritually blind, then this would not be sin for you. This shows us uh, one of our main ideas as we, as Baptists, as we study. We believe that there is an age of accountability. We know that in Genesis, Christ or Adam and Eve were created perfect and sinless. That it wasn't until they ate of the fruit, they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of uh, the knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it was revealed to them their sinful nature, and they covered their nakedness. That sin entered into the world. We understand that there is a, a point and a time in our life where each and every one of us has to understand who we are and what we are. And that's different for every one of us. But so many of us refuse to see that. We know deep down in our hearts that there's something missing. I, I knew from the time I was little that there was something missing in my life. I spent 20 years knowing 
that there was something that wasn't right in my life. But I refused to see that it was God. Like I said, I was an agnostic. You couldn't prove to me that God existed, but... But as I studied the sciences and, and learned uh, about all the different things, I learned about the, the hair on our hands, the DNA in our cells, the, the way that plants are made up. I willingly believed that those things just happened by chance. I've said it before. I, I could show anyone this iPad right here, and they, no one in their right mind would ask or would believe that it just happened. If they didn't know just from looking at it that it was an Apple device, they would they would want to know who made it. I used to say a watch, but I don't wear a watch. Watches are going away. But, but even all of the intricate parts that are involved in this iPad right here, in our, our devices, the things, the piano, all of these things, the TVs behind me, they're just a drop in the bucket compared to the intricacy of one cell in our body. And yet I refused to see that evidence right in front of me. I was these Pharisees. It took God bringing my daughter into this world, taking me to the lowest point where I'd ever been in my life, breaking me of that belief that I could fix anything. That's why Christ says, if you were born blind, if you truly were blind, you would have no sin. Because that refusal of God, that refusal to know and understand, wouldn't be sin because you just don't know. But since you claim to see, since you claim to serve God, since you claim to be righteous and holy... You are full of sin. James 4.17 We read it this morning. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know to do good and you don't, that's a sin against God. The first good thing that you have to do is get saved. You have to know and understand who Christ is. You have to place your faith and trust in Him. Christ is saying if you don't know to do good and don't do it, you're forgiven. We've talked about it before. Our, our friend, friends DJ and Lucy from Missouri, they, they had a they had a young a son. He was 25 years old. His name was Zach. He was born with a very severe case of cerebral palsy and was nonverbal. Uh, couldn't do anything. Uh, couldn't move. Couldn't feed himself. He was fed with a feeding tube and uh, picked up and carried everywhere he went. I believe that when Zach passed away. He sees our Savior. Because I don't think he ever had the capacity to truly understand his nature. I believe that uh, 
the baby that uh, my wife and I lost several years back before it was born is with our Savior right now. Because it never had that chance to understand. But I also believe that for those of us that are walking this earth, there's going to come a day very soon when we're raptured, when the church is raptured out, the believers are taken out of this world. The Holy Spirit is going to leave and everyone that's had the opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that refused, judgment is going to be passed. And there's going to be no escape for them. They're going to spend an eternity in hell. And that's why we're here. That's why we're still here. Because there are still Pharisees and Sadducees and people around us that should know that don't. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to tell them. We are now this blind man who has been healed and has spent the first waking moments of his life after he got healed speaking of God and praising Christ for what he's done in his life. We are now the maniac of Gadara that uh, was healed and made clean, that was found in his right mind, clothed, sitting at the feet of Christ, that was when he desired to go with Christ, as Christ was being escorted out, Christ said, no, go back to your family, go back to your friends, and tell them the good things that God has done for them. I know that just about every message that we've had here has been me uh, trying to encourage you to reach out. It's because it's the most important thing in the world. Again, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? These Pharisees and Sadducees thought, uh, and the Jews as they, they cast this man out of the temple, they thought that there was no way he was going to get to heaven now. There was no way he was going to be able to serve God. They made that choice because they didn't want him there. And all he was doing was trying to show them God, the true God. Don't be them. We cannot do this alone, my family and I. It has to be, for, for the world to be changed from right here in Maxwell, it has to be each and every one of us telling everyone that we know. And then every one of them that gets saved telling everyone that they know. That's God's plan. I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. If you own the gospel, you owe the gospel. Not because it requires work, but because of your grace, because of your, your, your gratefulness for what God has truly done for us. That's the difference between us and the blind man in this story, in this account. The blind man knew what his life was like before he was made whole. We often don't really understand just how bad we were. We don't understand just how much grace and mercy it took to save us. 
So as we continue this month and come up on Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to be gathered with family. I know I have family that's not saved. I have a lot of family that's not saved. It's right here in this community. And that's why we're here. It's our responsibility to share that with them. Just like Pastor Pierce shared with me back in 2007. Out of love, he told me that I was a wicked and evil sinner. He showed me that God loved me and cared for me and died for me. And that I could spend eternity with him in heaven. I'll never forget that day. Everything since then that I have done, I have done to serve the Lord. I wish I could say I've accomplished it. (laughs) That I'm perfect, but I'm not. But that's where we need to be. That's the attitude of gratitude that we need to have as we come on this Thanksgiving holiday and as we go to visit our families. That's where it needs to start. So let me encourage you with that tonight.